When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, the New Republic plans to take the fight to the Yuzhan Vong, setting a trap they know Savong La won't be able to resist. But every trap requires bait, and this one has a doozy, the Jedi. Will the plan work, or will Luke Skywalker's new Jedi Order be wiped out? It's in today's book, Destiny's Way, by Walter John Williams. And joining me to talk about the book is K2. She's back. K2, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. So happy to be back. I'm excited to talk about the Ahsoka series. That's what I'm here to do, right? Just wrapped up. Yes, that's exactly what we're here to do. Awesome. We'll spend an hour and a half on that and about three hours on the book. Should be, should be done before dinner. Listener, if you don't know, K2 has a really cool job that takes her all over the world. Uh, Can you share some of the places you've been to lately? Sure. I was just a couple weeks ago in Argentina. Um, It was my first time to Buenos Aires, which was really cool. Um, Tomorrow, not for work, but I'll be in your neck of the woods. I'll be going uh, to Virginia to go to Blacksburg for a football game. I leave in the morning. Ooh. What? Okay. I'm sorry, listeners. Thanks for having me. Um, that's all I have today. Go, I mean, I, I went to WVU. I'm a WVU Hokies. fan. I can't, I can't root for Virginia Tech. <laughs> uh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Um, against Wake Forest, of course you can. Um, and so next week I'll be in Miami, and then in a couple weeks I'll be in Brazil. Is there a place you haven't been to yet that you want to visit? Ironically, if this is ironic to me, I've never been to Ireland, and my last name and my father's entire family is of Irish origin. Um, so um, that is definitely on my bucket list, and I've planned different trips that have all been canceled, but that's, and work doesn't take me there. So I have to do that um, personally, but um, that is definitely going to happen, I would guess, in the next few years. And aren't you going to London sometime soon, like New Year's or something? The plan is to go to England between Christmas and New Year's with my brother and my nephew, and we are going to see a couple Premier League soccer games. So that should be fun. So fantastic. I did see one game once upon a time. I went. I was at Old Trafford um, for the opening when when Manu had won the Premiership. So it was like I don't know, thirteen years ago or something. Fourteen years ago, it was op- the opening game of the season. It was really, really, really fun. So I think I hope you're going to have a blast. And you're seeing what is it? Um, 
Chelsea? Wait, who who are the teams you're going to see? Uh, my brother is an Arsenal fan, and I am a fan of Southampton down on the South Coast. So those are the two games we're going to. That's going to be awesome. You're going to have to send picks. Well, I hope you get a chance to get to Ireland someday there, K2. But today, we're going back to a galaxy far, far away. After listener questions, of course. Today, we have three emails. The first one comes from Raj, who says, What is your favorite Star Wars movie? And what is your favorite Legends book? K2, would you like to answer either of Raj's questions there? Happy to. Um... In the spirit of brevity, I have three answers <laughs> for a movie. And I gave this a little thought because that favorite is an interesting question, right? So I think is the best movie um, as far as like quality, how they brought it to life, um, the complexity of it, the maturity of it. I'm a, I'm a Rogue One uh, fan in that regard. I think from a critically acclaimed standpoint... Um, and I love the emotional tension in the story and the simplicity of it in many ways. Um, the movie that's closest to my heart is always going to be A New Hope because that was the first one I saw and the one that I watched at least a hundred times with my, with my brothers after school. Um, almost every day. My mother is probably still like, has PTSD from watching that movie with us. Um, and I think the ones with the most compelling stories are, are kind of fan favorites, which are Empire, Empire and uh, Revenge of the Sith. Um, Revenge of the Sith, when I first saw it, because I had issues with kind of, you know, acting and some of the writing and things like that, it didn't land for me the same way as it does now after Clone Wars and really getting like the whole picture and the emotional connection to Anakin in a way that I didn't get in the movie. So anyway, that is a very long answer to a very simple question. And what about your favorite Legends book? Uh, so it's the Legends, I mean, the, you know, the heir, heir, heir to the Empire, Heir of the Empire, which, which is it? <laughs> heir to the Empire. Heir to the Empire, um, I think is fantastic and everyone should read that trilogy. As far as in this series, a New Jedi Order series, I could make an argument for the book we're about to talk about, Destiny's Way. I really loved Traitor, which was the book you and Matt just did. I thought Jason's story was really, really interesting. And um, I really loved Star by Star, which was the other book that I did. And I think that I'm somewhat biased because I really dig into those books a little bit more, but they were also... You keep giving me the long books. Have you noticed that? <laughs> it's just it's just the rotation. That's that's the mm. way the rotation. I didn't look into it beforehand, but but think of that. You got Star by Star, which is one of the best book of the series. You got this one, Destiny's Way, another excellent excellent story, and the next time you're on is the final book in the series, Unifying Force. I'm beginning, so, I'm beginning to think I'm your favorite, Aaron. Oh well, of course. Yes, naturally. I hope everyone's listening. I hope Kat and uh, <laughs> and Jay <laughs> and Matt and Scott all heard that loud. Do you want to say that again? I'm the favorite. Yes, K two is my favorite. <laughs> Just kidding. They're all my favorite. But yes, so that's what I would say. I think this book is fantastic, and I hope everyone listening has read these stories because they really, really are so much better than I anticipated when you asked you first brought this idea to us. Well, that's cool. As for me to ask answer Raj's questions, my favorite movie is The Empire Strikes Back. 
I think it's the best film. I agree with you, K2, that favorite can change for certain people. I mean, it, it, sometimes it depends on what you're looking for at a certain time. I do think Empire is the best overall story. But man, every time the dogfight at the end of A New Hope comes on, I'm going to watch the whole thing. I'm going to watch the entire Death Star battle. So, yeah, as far as the whole movie goes, it's Empire Strikes Back. But I have favorite parts of every Star Wars movie. It doesn't matter which one. I have There are parts in every movie that I love. As far as Legends books, I've said it before, I don't have a single favorite Legends book. I think there are a group of about five or six, in my opinion, that I enjoy more than the rest. The first book in the Heir to the Empire trilogy, I think, is the best book in the trilogy, the one actually called Heir to the Empire. I think Traitor, here in the New Jedi Order series, is my favorite in the New Jedi Order. Kenobi by John Jackson Miller, I think, as a standalone book, is the best novel in Legends. It's not part of a series. It's just a standalone novel. I think it's the best one. I like the first book in the Republic Commando series by Karen Travis called Hard Contact. I think that is an excellent book. And then the Revenge of the Sith novelization written by Matthew Stover. I am not a big fan of the movie. It's got good parts in it overall. It's not one of my favorites. But I think as far as novelizations go, it's tremendous. If everything that's in the novelization would have been in the film, and depending on how George Lucas had shot it, I think it may be my favorite movie. But at least as far as novelizations go, it's my favorite uh, film adaptation. Yes, I did read. I haven't read a lot of Star Wars books. You guys know them all. I've read what we just talked about and then Ahsoka and The Revenge of the Sith. And I agree with you that. But that's what I was saying in my answer was the story is up there as one of the better stories. The execution sure. of the movie, I actually have to force myself to watch it. Like, I don't think it's that good of a movie. I think it's that good of a story. And the book to your point, just skip the movie and read the book because it's just so good. And the emotion is captured better in that story. So I think you're 100% right there. Thank you very much for that email, Raj. All right. Today's second email is from Peter, who says, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. A year ago, I moved from Austria to Ireland. Look at that, which was quite a change for me. However, listening to your podcast always reminds me of those summer days I spent reading Star Wars books in the garden back home. Recently, you discussed how Star Trek themes made their way into certain Legends books. Even though I have read the Thrawn trilogy several times, in English and in German, I recently stumbled across an odd reference the Grand Admiral makes to Captain Paleon at the end of Chapter 4 in Heir of the Empire. Regarding... The Battle of Endor, Thrawn says, you are as dependent on that presence as if you were all Borg implanted into a combat computer. Would this mean that beings like the Borg in Star Trek exist in Star Wars Legends? Aaron? Thank you very much for the email, Peter. So I did some research on your question. I found the quote 
that you listed in your email. And then I went looking up the term Borg as how it is referred to in Star Wars. In Legends, the word Borg is only listed in one book, and that is the reference that you found. It is that one sentence in Heir to the Empire. It is also listed in three issues of the original Marvel Star Wars comic, all the issues being released in 1977. And when they are talking about the Borg, it's just shorthand for cyborg. So you could consider Darth Vader a cyborg. Lobot in Empire Strikes Back, a cyborg. The bounty hunter Valance from the old comics, a cyborg. Now, you are correct in the way Zahn uses it in Heir to the Empire. He makes it seem like the way the Borg are in Star Trek The Next Generation. How it's a group of cybernetic beings with like a hive mind, all connected to some great supercomputer. I think that's a consequence of Zahn's writing style. Zahn is much more a science fiction writer than a science fantasy writer. The people who bump up against Zahn's writings is because they prefer the more science fantasy aspects of Star Wars. Personally, I like them both. Um, I don't like when Zahn goes to sci-fi, which he does occasionally, but I also don't like when Star Wars goes to high fantasy, which I think it does sometimes. I know that's kind of a ramble there, Peter, but to this point, we haven't found a group of beings like the Borg in Star Wars that exist like the Borg do in Star Trek. Today's third email comes from Zhu. Zhu says, I've been thinking more about food and realized something. What does Darth Vader eat, and how does he eat it? My second question is regarding Han and Leia. Why in Legends do Leia and Han have three children, but in canon, they only have one? K2, let's start with Zhu's first question. How does Darth Vader eat? Very carefully. I love this question because I think, in all honesty, it's this type of thing that they don't think about when they make the story and then they go, you know, and they get to Return of the Jedi where it's like, oh, you can't take your helmet off or you'll die kind of thing. So anyway, I think technically he's going to eat through some sort of like IV mechanism where they're probably once a day kind of unceremoniously giving him nutrients that keep him going plus he's it's i don't know actually how robotic he is right what does how much food does he need does he just need to be plugged in i don't know <laughs> so i don't have a great answer but i do i think it's a great question i love the question but i have no idea and i didn't google it for the sake of being authentically um ignorant to the answer sure i i'm not sure we have an answer as to how Darth Vader eats. I love that Jew is the listener that keeps sending in food and drink questions. I think Jew 
actually had an email the last time you were on. Mm-hmm. And uh, we K2. did food. Yep, we talked about blue milk and Grogu eating everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I guess I would agree. Since we don't know how Vader eats, I'm assuming he's just hooked up to some sort of nutrient system when he's in that little pod, like you see the pod in The Empire Strikes Back, and he just gets his nutrients intravenously. So, second question, Ju, why do Han and Leia have three children in Legends, but only one in canon? Uh, It's because the stories in Legends were written outside of George Lucas's scope of Star Wars. So, in the early 90s, people knew that Han and Leia were in love, they got married, they started having children. Well, when the Disney company bought Legends in 2012, they announced that in 2014, they were going to wipe the slate clean when it came to the Legends stories. I love Legends, but personally, I understand from a business standpoint why they would have to do that. If they wanted to make more movies, it was going to conflict with some of these books that had been written. So, they wanted to make more movies. In canon, it was decided that Han and Leia would have a son. That's the reason why there's differences uh, between the two storylines. So, thank you very much for the emails, you. Now, listeners, if you have a question for the show, like Raj, Peter, and Ju, you can email in at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send us a tweet at Legends Lounge 1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, you can record an audio question and email it in. Just please help me out and record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Stay tuned to the end of the show because Raj has also sent in a Star Wars character fighter squadron. Those are always fun to read. But now it's time for today's book, Destiny's Way by Walter John Williams. K2, are you ready? Let's go. Well, grab yourself a drink, and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins with Han and Leia on a diplomatic mission to the Imperial Remnant. The New Republic needs some help, and they're willing to make a deal with the Empire. Leia tells Imperial Officer... Vanadorja that they're going to have to enter the war at some point, because sooner or later, the Yuzhan Vong will turn their sights on the Empire. Suddenly, Leia feels a presence. It's Jason. He's alive, and he's returning to New Republic space. As the Millennium Falcon continues en route to the Imperial capital of Bastion, the ship is pulled out of hyperspace by a Dovan Basal mine. The Falcon is attacked by a small squad of coral skippers, Han sees that they're outnumbered and tries to make a run for it. He uses the gravity well produced by the Dovan Basal mine to slingshot the Falcon around three times and destroys four of the skips. They're saved from the remaining coral skippers when Jag fell and a squadron of Chiss arrive and mop up the rest. When Leia tells Jag about her mission to the Imperial Remnant, he says to remain alert. The Empire might agree to join the New Republic, but right now, it would be better for them to stay out of the fight. 
the New Republic Senate has moved the capital to Mon Calamari, and one of the first orders of business is to elect a new chief of state. When Coruscant fell, Senator Puo named himself chief, but the Senate votes to expel the Corrin and proclaims the position vacant. There are two leading candidates, Fior Rodan from Komenor and Cal Omas of Alderaan. Luke meets with both men to ask what they expect from the Jedi if elected. Rodan says he wants nothing to do with the Jedi. He says the order is a drain on government funds and acts without Senate oversight. Omas says he wants Luke to establish a new Jedi Council, one that will work with the Senate to coordinate actions against the Yuzhan Vong. Meanwhile, Jason Solo and Vergier travel to Mon Calamari on a stolen coral craft. Just before they arrive, Vergier tells Jason the story of how she joined the Yuzhan Vong. More than 50 years ago, she was a Jedi Knight in the Old Republic. Vergier says she was sent to a mysterious planet named Zonama Seacott to investigate a group of aliens known as the Far Outsiders. Vergier found Zonama Seacott amazing, a planet bristling with life and the Force. In fact, the flora and the fauna lived in such harmony, Vergier says the spirit of Zonama Seacott itself was alive. But the Far Outsiders attacked the planet, and Vergier was confused that she couldn't sense these aliens in the Force. These were the Yuzhan Vong. They wanted to destroy the planet, but Vergier used her Jedi abilities to fool the Vong, convincing them that Zunama Seacott possessed tremendous powers. It was then she decided to go with the Vong when they returned to their main forces, to try and study them and figure out why they were invisible in the Force. When they land, Jason and Vergier are taken into custody. Jason is only kept for questioning for a short time, but Vergier is detained for a much more in-depth interrogation to see if she's telling the truth or still an agent of the Yuzhong Vong. Jason reunites with his family, but it's not the happiest of reunions. Luke finds his nephew solemn but resolved. Luke is surprised Jason is not angry. He seems to have accepted his torture at the hands of Vergier and the Yuzhong Vong. Leia and Han are elated, of course, embracing Jason and crying over their son's return. But the reunion with Jaina is an awkward one. Jason tells his sister she needs to take a rest. He says Jaina can't keep pushing herself or she'll pass her breaking point. But Jaina says she can't stop. She owes it to all the friends she's already lost to defeat the Vong. She owes it to Anakin. Jason asks that the two can spend some time together to reconnect, but Jaina says she can't. She's thankful that Jason's alive, and she's glad they got to talk, but Jaina's on a mission from Admiral Crefe to convince Luke to send the military more Jedi. On Yuzhan Tar, Shimra has arrived. The Supreme Overlord calls his top officials together to discuss the invasion and the status of the World Brain's transformation of Coruscant. Tsavong La begs Shimra to allow him to chase the New Republic into the Outer Rim, but the Supreme Overlord denies him. He tells the War Master that the Vong are short on troops and materiel. Now is the time to resupply. Shimra then demands a report on the World Brain. He's displeased with what's going wrong with the shaping of Yuzhan Tar. Master Shaper Chagong Hul apologizes for the errors, and the Supreme Overlord orders his execution for incompetence. Finally, High Priest Jorar reports of a growing movement among the workers and the Shamed Ones, 
that the Jedi will save them from their station. Shimra orders the priests to quell this new blasphemy by proclaiming that salvation is only available through proper reverence to the gods, and if they refuse, execute them. Luke visits Vergier and asks her how she avoided revealing herself as a Jedi to the Yuzhong Vong for 50 years. She shows Luke how she can shrink her force presence all the way down to a microscopic level. It also allows her to change the composition of her tears at a molecular level. Vergier says it's what allowed her to cure Maro from the coom spores. The two play an intense game of 20 questions, one that ends with Vergier asking Luke the same question she asked Jason during his captivity. If the Force is life, how can there be life without the Force? Vergier says she believes the Vong do exist in the Force. It's the Jedi's perception that needs to change. Jason spends an afternoon on Mon Calamari relaxing with Danny Kui. The two go reef diving and enjoy a picnic on the beach. Danny asks Jason about his time in captivity, and he asks the scientist why she isn't still flying with Saba Sibitine. Danny says her time in the New Republic military ended when she and Master Silgao discovered a DNA pattern common to all Vong-formed life. Jason wonders if that unique DNA strain is what makes the Vong invisible in the Force. Danny says she doesn't know, and she'll no longer be able to research it. She says their work was confiscated by New Republic intelligence and sent away as part of a secret military project. As the voting rounds begin for a new chief of state, Lando Calrissian and Talon Card begin blackmailing certain senators into switching their votes to Cal Omas, threatening to reveal their corruption to the public. Omas is finally elected on the fourth ballot. After he's sworn in, he and Luke issue a joint statement to establish a high council, consisting of five Jedi and five members of the New Republic government, that will advise the Jedi and how they can best support the Senate. One of the members is Diff Scour, the head of the New Republic Intelligence. At one of the Council's early meetings, Scour says they've developed a new weapon named Alpha Red, a virus that will kill the Yuzhan Vong and all their bioengineered life. Luke says the Jedi will not be a party to genocide and demands Alpha Red be destroyed. Chief of State Omas refuses, but he agrees the weapon will only be used as a last resort. Meanwhile, on Yuzhan Tar, Naminor dons a disguise and sneaks into a hidden meeting of the blasphemers. He listens in disgust at the disorganized rabble, talking about the Ganner and the Jedi saviors. But the executor also notices something. If someone can unite the lower castes around one coherent message, they can be used as a powerful weapon against the ruling castes. When Naminor leaves the meeting, he spots Shimra's grotesque jester, Onimi, and follows the Shame One to a Shaper Dumatek outside the capital. There, he learns that the Shapers are trying to fill the Eighth Cortex with new information. Heresy! Nominor thinks, the Eighth Cortex is empty. Everything the Supreme Overlord says is a lie. As Luke continues to lobby against the use of Alpha Red bioweapon, the High Council receives a message from retired Admiral Akbar. The former Supreme Commander has a plan to wipe out the Yuzhan Vong fleet. 
Akbar plans to draw the Vong into a trap. It's a trap! In the deep core of the Ebok system. Ebok 9 is a gas giant orbited by several moons, including one containing a formal Imperial mining facility. Akbar says if they can lure the Vong fleet to Ebok 9, the New Republic military will close the hyperspace lanes out of the system, trapping the Vong between the core and the gas giant. It's an audacious plan, but one that wins the approval of the Council. But every trap requires bait, and when Luke asks what bait Akbar wants to use, the answer is obvious. Jedi. Before they put Akbar's plan into motion, Luke decides to promote the nine Jedi who survived the mission to Merker to full Jedi Knights. Cal Omas asks to have a formal ceremony to raise public morale. The ceremony takes place on Kashyyyk, where many of the young Jedi are practicing battle maneuvers with Admiral Crefay's battle group. In front of the holocams, Luke calls Queen Mother Tanel Ka of Hapes, Tesar Sibatine, Alima Rar, Lobaka, Zek, Tahiri Vela, Jason, and the tiny healer Tekli forward, draping them in Jedi robes. Lastly, Luke calls his niece Jaina forward. When he puts the robe over her shoulders, Luke feels the Force speak through him. He names Jaina the Sword of the Jedi, telling his niece that she'll have a restless life, and that even though she'll never know peace, Jaina should take comfort in knowing that she'll bring peace to others. Following the ceremony, most of the new Jedi Knights return to Crefe's battle group and prepare to head off to Ebok 9. The New Republic drops some breadcrumbs about Ebok 9 to Naminur's spy network, and the Yuzhan Vong take the bait. Savan Law leads five squadrons to Ebok 9 and finds Admiral Crefe's battle group stationed in orbit. The Warmaster begins to commit his forces when Han and Leia arrive, leading a squadron of ships from the Smugglers Alliance. Savan Log moves his forces to meet the smugglers when suddenly another New Republic battle group arrives. Luke and General Garmbel Iblis arrive from Fondor, blocking any Yuzhan Vong escape. Back on Yuzhan Tar, Namnor gets word of the trap and flees, escaping Shimra's wrath. With the result of the battle all but certain, Savang La decides to attack the former Imperial mining facility on Ebak 9's moon. He orders his troops into the tunnels, led by the Vong's remaining six Voxen. The beasts track Jaina, Lobaka, and Tesar deep into the tunnels. Jason, in orbit, feels his twin in danger and decides to help. He runs to his X-Wing, but he's stopped by Vergeer, who tries to stop him, saying if Jason is killed trying to save his sister, he'll never fulfill his destiny. Jason ignores Vergeer and lands the X-Wing on the far side of the moon. The four Jedi sprint through the tunnels, laying mines and traps for the Vong. They kill dozens of warriors and four of the Voxen, but there are hundreds of Yuzhong Vong chasing them. Jaina Lowy and Tesar climb a vertical shaft and take aim at the Vong that try to follow them. Elsewhere, Jason takes a wrong turn and reaches a dead end. He ignites his lightsaber, preparing to make one last stand when he gets a call from Verdeer, telling him to prepare for sudden decompression. He sends a quick warning to Jaina through the force, just as Verdeer, in a stolen A-wing, slams into the opening of the mines. The explosion pushes a huge compression wave through the tunnels, knocking everyone over with a blast of heated air. And then, almost instantly, the air rushes back out of the mines. 
the Jedi quickly seal their flight helmets, while the Vong scramble for their nulleth breathers. But it's too late. The warriors pass out from the lack of air and die. All that is, except Tsavon Law. The War Master surprises Jaina, Loey, and Tesar and attacks. He stabs Lobaka through his shoulder and then turns on Jaina. The Sword of the Jedi slashes with her purple blade, but Savan Law dodges and presses his attack. He knocks Jaina's lightsaber away and slashes for her throat. She ducks and grabs Loey's lightsaber. Jaina blocks the War Master's return slash, but he uses his weight and presses Jaina down to a knee. She struggles against the War Master's strength, but spots her lightsaber lying nearby. Using the force, Jaina ignites her blade and sends it flying, stabbing Savan Law in the throat, killing him. The story ends a few days later on Yuzhantar. Shurma places a death mark on Naminor for the disaster at Ebok 9. The Supreme Overlord then declares that the Yuzhan Vong will go on the offensive to wipe out the natives of this galaxy. Time for a break. When we return, K2 and I will talk more about Destiny's Way by Walter John Williams. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Aftermath, Empire's End is the conclusion to the best-selling trilogy about the final days of the Empire. Nora Wexley and her team hunt for Imperial Grand Admiral Ray Sloan, who's searching for the mysterious Gallius Rex. And it all culminates at one last battle on the planet Jakku. Will Nora and Ray Sloan be able to stop Rex from implementing the Emperor's final plan? Find out in Aftermath, Empire's End by Chuck Wendig, the final book in the Aftermath trilogy. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today, K2 and I are talking about Destiny's Way by Walter John Williams, the 14th book in the New Jedi Order series. 14 books, K2. Before the year started, could you have believed that you would have read 14 books starting in, what, early April up to this point? So it's been just about, what, six months? Maybe just over six months? Aaron, the list of things that have happened this year that were not on my list of things to do in 2023 is very long. Um, But yes, reading 14 Star Wars books I'd never heard of definitely wasn't on the list. I'm super glad I did. I think these are fantastic. And it's kept me, um, while there's a million things going on in my life, it gives me like, I love fantasy. I love escaping. So it's really kept me focused on 
keeping that in my life, which has been really, really great. So it's crazy, though, to think that. And we still have five more to go. We do. Now, you mentioned at the very beginning of the show that you really like this book. Uh, what were some of the things that you enjoyed most? Dare I describe this book as fun? I I'm still have PTSD from the last book that I read where they killed my boy Anakin. And like it was really draining emotionally. And this book was fun. They, they killed a lot of people in that well, book. They, and there was a just, lot of people that died. They killed a lot of those Jedi. And even if we were introduced to those Jedi and Star by Star at the beginning of the book, it was a long book. And by the end, you had a connection to them, or at least were rooting for them. And so it, that was emotionally draining. And to come and do this one and to be able to celebrate, um, and you can feel the tide turning. Um, but, and who we lost in this book, fascinatingly, we're all on the other side or in the middle. I mean, losing Savon Law and Vergier and um, like that's. It's a completely different experience um, than losing Anakin. If Star by Star is basically the bottom point for our heroes, and then the next two to three books after that, I think starting with the end of the last book, Traitor, with Jason escaping and coming back to the New Republic, and now you have this one, finally we're starting to see our heroes coming back, you know, our heroes are taking it to the Yuzhan Vong. We're starting to root for them again. You know, everything else was just try to hold on, try to survive. And now with this story, we can win this thing. Right. We can see it. We can. And when like the, I think it's the first, cause we get a lot of battles with Jaina I think it's the first one when they're using the Yamaks and they're getting all of the um, the 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 Yuzhan Vong's fleet to fire on its on its main ship. Is that the first battle or the second? Anyway, it's one of the early ones. But it's yeah, she she awesome. puts those little mines out there and they start turning on each other. Yeah, so she's using their technology through the trickster, everything that they've been learning, all the painful lessons they've learned they've learned them all the hard way they've paid a high price for this knowledge but to see them to open the page and they're using it finally to win or battles you know and and see some victories it's fantastic and and they have the i forget what it's called but the the dovin basil um that they recreated but how they can use the mines, not just the Yamasks, to tell the ships to fire on the ships, but they created their own mines, like you mentioned. Like, that's just really cool to watch and read, and it is really exciting. And we didn't lose anybody important. No, no. The, the Vong definitely took their losses in this book. And, you know, like I said, I think the turning point is kind of when Jason escapes at the end of Traitor. And he's coming back. Well, in this book, he does get back. We talked a little about how he had these different interactions with members of his family. Obviously, Leia was the one holdout. Leia never believed that Jason was gone. She was the one that was convinced that he was still alive, even though everyone else thought Jason was dead also. So Jason, he meets his parents again, Han and Leia, they're overjoyed. 
they can't get enough. They can't let him go. They just keep hugging him and kissing him and, oh, what do you want for dinner? Oh, you're so real thin now. Oh, you've grown a beard. What is this? But I think it's the other interactions to me that are the most interesting. Like, I think Luke expects Jason to have turned a bit dark and depressed because of the torture he endured. And at least at this point, there's none of that. He's just sort of matter of fact. Yeah, I endured it. I got through it. Now I'm back. You don't have to worry about me, Uncle Luke. What mission do you have for me? It's almost like... I know you didn't read the Young Jedi Knights books. They're a series of young adult books, but Jason is very playful in those books. He's now lost all that playfulness in this one, in my opinion. He he does not... He definitely seems like a much more mature person now. He's been through it, right? But think about... When I, when I was thinking about this dialogue we were going to have, it makes me reflect back to earlier in the series and how different these characters are and the journey that they've been on in these 14 books. And Jason was very resistant um, uh, to things that maybe Anakin believed in. And, and they were always at odds, which everyone talked about how that got old. But he's been through Anakin's death, which, again, on the first book we did, we talked a lot about grief and how that plays into character development. And then he goes through this torture, and then he wrestles with himself. And I think, and we can either go into that now, but the dialogue with Vergier and Luke is just like the nucleus of this story. It's fantastic how they kind of go back and forth and how she's still teaching him. It's like she has so much to teach him. Um, but the idea of breaking him... So he has nothing, and then he can kind of determine or understand who he is. That has to have had an impact on what it is you're describing. So he's come back in this neutral mind, um, maybe still at war with himself, maybe better understanding himself. Um, who knows really why you're getting this uh, this this kind of neutrality. And he's like very almost peaceful, right? He's not angry at anything. He'll jump. He's, he's excited. He's he's still got the love and the excitement. He's excited to see Jaina. He's excited to save her. He's, you know, he's, you can feel the passion that way, but he doesn't have the the anger. But he's not mad at Frigier. Like, he likes her. They're buds. Obviously, all of his family members are angry at Vergier. Luke is angry at Vergier. And there are plenty of times where Luke has to tell himself to rein it in, to not let his anger overcome him. You're right. Vergier tells Luke the reasons she had to do what she had to do for Jason. He's been raised by two heroes of the galaxy. He studied the Force under the hero of the galaxy. He's got a tremendous support system. Obviously, being trained as a Jedi, he's got the Force to help him. And Vergier tries to explain to Luke that the only way she could get Jason to survive incarceration with the Yuzhan Vong is to take everything away from him so that he only could rely on himself. That mom and dad and Luke and Jaina aren't coming to rescue me. That 
the force when it comes to the Yuzhan Vong, at least at this point in time, is not going to help me. So I have to figure out a way to rely on myself in order to get out of this situation. And on top of that, he's not a product of being a solo child or being the apprentice to Luke Skywalker. And these are roles he's playing. He, he strips down. And as she, I have the quote here in the state, in that state of complete disinterest, everything else having failed him, he had no choice, but to be himself, to choose and to act. And when you're, the son of Han and Leia, and you're the apprentice of Luke, you 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 probably don't even know who you are. So it's it's a fascinating kind of psychological um, kind of game that she plays. But she's clearly so. I mean, we don't even get that much Jedi time with her. But what she gives us, I think she's she she's she's wise like a Yoda, and the fact that she mentions Yoda. Can we just talk about that? <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's, she's just fascinating. And I will miss her. I'm not happy that, that she's gone. I mean, maybe we'll get Force Ghost Vergier for a while. But, like, I think she's a really, really interesting character. Well, was that surprising to you that know that Vergier was much older than maybe what people assumed at the beginning of this story? That Vergier was a Jedi Knight. 50 plus years ago that she had studied at the temple on Coruscant that she knew Yoda that she had been sent out on this mission and she made a decision on the mission rather than contacting the Jedi Council about what she had found the fact that the Yuzhan Vong were so foreign to her that she made a split-second decision to go with them for 50 years to try to study them. She took one day to make the decision. Yeah, and what drove it, right? So is she, when she's attempting to teach Jason, um, is it because this is how she kind of, she saw it in that neutrality of this, well, I'm going to sacrifice. I mean, look at the sacrifices that she made. She just sacrificed 50 years of her life eating Yuzhong Vong food, which they said was disgusting, and that's why she eats so much. I don't know if that's true, but that's what they said. But then she suicide bombs the, 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 the I guess, the air, you know, the, the, what do you call it? The tunnels there in the, in the, at the moon? Yeah, like, in the so mining she facility? Said, yeah, she basically, like, to the, um, yeah, I can't think of the word, but, And yeah. she does it to save Jason because she had a vision that Jason was going to be the most important thing when it came to the destiny of the Yuzhan Vong, whether that's the galaxy defeating the Yuzhan Vong or trying to understand them and maybe trying to live with them. But Jason was, in her mind, the most important thing, and that's why she was willing to give her life up. Right, and it made me think about the name of the book, right, Destiny's Way, and I keep finding all of these things it could mean, and that, what you just pointed out, she says, um, when Luke asks, because she says that, it's his destiny, and Luke's like, what is with this destiny in him? And he's like, to destroy them, to save them, to transform them, is Luke's question to her, and she's like, maybe all three. Um, 
but so that his destiny could be to save the galaxy, to save the Vong. I mean, it's crazy, right? And then I also think the destiny's way is speaking right out of Traitor into Jason. What is his destiny, right? Is he going to, when he looked inside and found himself or whatever it was that this lesson she was trying to teach him, where does he end up, right? Who does he become? What does he become? And But then additionally, is it, was it Vergier's destiny? Was this the whole path she was on the whole time for that one moment to sacrifice herself? And it's just, there's probably, those are just the ones I came up with off the top of my head. I mean, like, there probably could be several more um, hints to what Destiny's Way is, is pointing to when they, when they wrote this novel. But I'm dying to find out. <laughs> I mean, there, there was another one in the book during the knighting ceremony when Luke just sort of goes into this fugue state and declares Jaina the sword of the des- the Jedi. He's kind of taking her destiny away from her and assigning her one. Crazy. That moment was crazy. And I hate re- reading everything, but like I have to read it because I thought it was so crazy. I name you the sword of the Jedi. You're like tempered steel, purposeful, razor keen. You always be in the front, a burning brand to your enemies, a brilliant fire to your friends. Yours is a restless life. And never shall you know peace. I mean, what is that? I mean, that's... <laughs> you're breaking my heart all over again. <laughs> Come on. I mean, it's not, it's not just... Yeah, it's not just one of the apprentices that at his uh, school. It's his niece. And he's telling his niece that she'll never know peace yeah. in her life. Too bad. You're what? In 19? Have a nice life. And you're the tip of the spear. So, like, it, it's fascinating. Um, this ceremony... And, and she's always been one of my favorites, right? Her and Mara have always been two of the characters. I mean, Mara doesn't get a lot of screen time, but, like, I, I just kind of love her. <laughs> like, she's She just... gets a lot of screen time in other novels. Uh, it's just in, in the last couple that we've had in the New Jedi Order, uh, yeah, Mara's kind of taken a backseat to some Yeah, but I still, like, even though she's not in it a lot, I love when she is. And I love like what she brings to the story, just but like who just who she is as a character, and and how she's come a long way from *Heir to the Empire*, right? But anyway, yeah, that's another great example of destiny, um, and how she takes ownership of that immediately. Like she's very proud of it, and she's immediately at one point later she's like, "I'm the sword of the Jedi. Let's go!" Like doesn't even question what it means. <laughs> So, I mean, there, yeah, there's probably a bunch more. But that ceremony, I thought, was one of the kind of highlights for me. Like, because, again, we did Star by Star, and it was all these ba- all my babies from Mirkur. And they... Yeah, you've grown to love these characters. Yeah. And, and you get to see, it's like their graduation. You saw them in their robes. <laughs> they're walking across the stage. They get their little diploma and move the tassel from one side of the mortarboard to the other. <laughs> Totally. Right. And you're just like kind of so proud. But then they gave that little, um, you know, they the kind of nod, not nod, but like they honored Anakin. And -hmm. it was like you just kind of can't escape that grief. And I think that I just thought it was kind of beautiful and very personal. And, you know, Luke took a time to kind of speak to each of them specifically. And I just thought it was really cool. And and then Vergier's response was one of my favorite quotes in the whole book when she's like, she's like, we never had a ceremony. You would have just said, a Jedi Knight you are. And that was that. Why? I'm like, that was fantastic. Because you're like, yeah, 
You're just like like Tony Stark with Spider-Man. He's like, you're an Avenger, right? <laughs> like, go about your day. <laughs> um, I just think that um, I'm going to miss Bertier. <laughs> okay, so on a slightly different topic with the Jedi, Luke agrees to reform the Jedi Council. Now, a couple things. First off, your boyfriend Kip... Yes! ...does not like what Luke says about taking the fight to the Yuzhan Vong, something that Kip has wanted to do for three years, and Luke was telling him not to. <laughs> I mean, I mean the amount of ridiculous quotes I love, like when Matt goes through quotes, he goes through these, like, oh, this was like a life-changing quote. All mine are ridiculous and silly, but, like, Kip wanting to punch Luke in the face. I'm like, this is the greatest. <laughs> because, like, how many Jedi out there are brave enough to do that? And he played the role exactly as Luke saw it, which was to be adversarial, to come up with another point of view. I don't know. I loved it. But I think Kip's arc is interesting, and I think Scott is going to be eating his words at the end of this. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I feel like his arc is really interesting. And and when Kalamas was like... Kip hasn't blown up any planets lately. That's true. Like, eh, I guess he's not as much of a jerk as he was before. I mean, this story's just getting lighter. It's a very low bar for Kip. It's a very low bar. <laughs> I mean, but that's just like the lightness of the story and the lightness of the writing. I don't want to get off topic of my boyfriend, Kip, but um, I love that he got put on there. I love the role he now plays um, in a supportive, like, supporting Jaina and, and being willing to follow and just playing his role with his dozen and and kind of coming in and saving the day but sitting on that council like I think it's I think it's really cool and you, to your point I'm not really sure like I'm not 100% sure what his resistance was it just the way of doing it or doing it at all like I think I'm not really clear on that so I, I found it interesting the New Jedi Order was published in the early 2000s between like 2001 and 2003 sometime around there so luke reforms the jedi council which includes five members of the government to sort of coordinate actions between the jedi and the government and then what movie comes out in 2003 revenge of the sith where george lucas basically says the the folly of the Jedi was, you know, getting into bed with the Senate and getting into bed with the government. I, I always just found that funny with this book <laughs> is it would have been nice for George to maybe let these authors in on that. And if so, would they have bothered to do this? But maybe maybe Luke's Jedi Council would have been completely separate from the government. Or maybe just seeing how you can do it two different ways. I mean, we don't know if this will be successful, right? To well, have... I know, because I've read all these, but... I don't. I, I know. Yeah, you... <laughs> I have yes. no idea. As far as we is... are in the series, we don't know. <laughs> My guess is nothing really works when it comes to, like, those power structures, because everybody just fights over power. But, um, you know, and then they keep each other in the dark. I thought it was interesting, too, just how, you know, defiant they were when the Alpha Red was... Um, revealed to them and the Jedi, you know, were clearly aligned with their beliefs of protecting life and, you know, genocide, um, of a species is, is not okay. 
Um, but the Bothans, of course, are like all out there trying to like completely wipe everything out. So they're all on the side of Alpha Red. But um, and that that stems back to what Danny Kui had discovered, right? And they took her work was directly related to that that finding of their genetic code, their DNA, something in their DNA um, is is what they're using to create this alpha red to target them and not everybody else. Right. What I thought was a really cool part of that is a lot of times when we talk about light side, dark side, we're really just talking about force users. This is an example of how the good guys can fall to the dark side of the force. I mean, advocating for the genocide of an entire species the Bothans declaring basically a holy war against the Yuzhan Vong. And remember, Admiral Crefay says that the Bothans will not rest until every Vong is wiped out, including the women, the children, everyone. This, in my opinion, is an example of what sometimes we try to get out of Star Wars that Light side and dark side is not just for the force users. It's for how you live your life. You know, it's the choices you make every day. Using alpha red is just wrong. It's just wrong. Wiping out an entire species. Think of who else is there. Not everyone is a warrior. Not everyone is a shaper. You have the shamed ones who are basically slaves. What did they do to warrant being wiped out. I, I just thought that was a pretty cool aspect of this book where it gives us an example of the dark side that doesn't involve a force user. Right. Just being, just making evil decisions is, you know, a temptation that anyone can fall to. Um, and you see it through the story woven, how, you know, many people argue on behalf of the Vong, Jason being one of them, as far as like, well, you can't blame the kids. They were raised that way. What'd they do? What did any of these people do necessarily? I mean, Naminor, who's your favorite guy, your boyfriend, Naminor. <laughs> yeah, he's one of my favorite characters in this. Now, I, I will admit, though, it's been a long time since I've read this. I thought the parts that I found really interesting with Naminor started earlier than what they do. Yeah. I thought it started about the midway point of the series, and it turns out it doesn't start to yeah. like the three-quarter point mm -hmm, of the series. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I, I, I misremembered that, if I could use that word. But, yeah, from here on out is when I start to really, really like Nominor. Well, it kind of started in this book. Yeah, excuse me for interrupting you, but, yeah, you can feel that. You can, you can feel the very slow, slow build of Nominor. They take their time. They completely embrace the fact that there are 19 books when they're developing his character. And it's, it's you know, when you first meet him, you think he's like the big baddie. And then you find out he's just like this lackey that has this job. He, he's <laughs> middle management. He's totally, a middle manager. You're like, Gee, can I speak to the manager, please? Like, you need to go over his head. It's just, and then they don't, they, don't, they all argue. <laughs> they hate each other. It, it really is, um, it's hard to like them and get into it. But as we've now spent so much time with them, and I do think this book in particular, at least for me, it was an interesting tipping point as far as my um, 
kind of connecting with them, I feel like, in many ways, is the first time I felt like I connected. Like, even Salva Ma, like, I did not expect him to be killed so happy because I'm kind of over those two fighting all the time. And he, you know, he can't, he can't, he can't survive this war anyway, but... I really, Which I, is weird I, because Savang La, as an official, is so much higher on the food chain than Naminor is uh, within his own caste. I mean, Savang La is the number one warrior. The war master. Right. The, and Naminor, on his side, he's still got a couple steps, a couple people ahead of him on the, uh, what are they, the intendant class, I think they were. He was part of the attendant class. And is it yeah. just because he was, like, you know, had infiltrated... The galaxy, and he was like a spy. He yeah, was like he was sent. Expert. He was sent ahead. He yeah. was sent ahead years ago, decades ago, to infiltrate the galaxy to try to sow chaos, and that's what he's been doing for the last, you know, twenty, thirty years. That's where his kind of credibility comes in, and why he keeps being brought in is because he's meant to be this expert on them and he's the guy who has the spy network and they can't quite get he's like a itch they you know that someone law can't quite scratch and then who ends up getting him killed it's you know nominor <laughs> it's and yeah. his his advice to go in and, and basically completely step in the into the trap i love that it's a trap the second i heard akbar talk about a trap i was like this just makes me so happy like this is what i thought was so fun about this book was all these kind of light, playful moments. But that aside, it's interesting that it was Naminor who really decided, you know, Savamah's fate in the end, sort of. This is the first book that we finally got to meet, Supreme Overlord Shimra. It's book number 14. He finally shows up. What do you think about him and his jester, Onimi? I mean, I wasn't really sure what, I mean, what to think. I felt they were just another kind of egotistical, I'm the boss. Like, here we go. Here's another guy on top. <laughs> they could keep meeting people that are ranking above everyone else. That they just all seemed the same. They killed that guy because they didn't like what he did. So they were like, take him out back and make sure he knows how bad he's been and kill him and kill everybody else and oh, the slaves are talking to the shamed ones and they're aligning behind, like, maybe the Jedi can save them. So we're going to make sure we separate them or start to kill them. And somebody else is like, well, let's not kill them too fast. But, like, this, it's this, it's this brazen, it's, it's, you know, if you, the fish stinks from the head, right? Like, if that's what that guy thinks, that's what everybody else thinks. He's exactly like, what we've come to know about the Yuzhong I don't totally understand where this is going, though, with his little... Uh, jester? Um, jester, yeah. I don't know... Um, I don't know where that's going. <laughs> uh, last question I have for our discussion here. The heresy between the slaves and the shame ones. Talking about how maybe the Jedi can rescue them from their lots in life. And Naminor, at first he's disgusted by it, but ever the opportunist, he says, or he thinks to himself, yeah, these people could easily be wiped out, but if just someone could meld this heresy 
into something coherent, then the thousands and thousands and millions of members of these lower castes could be very dangerous to the upper castes. What do you think of that right now? And how do you expect this to evolve going forward? Okay, so that's a great question. I, I'm going to... I didn't give it a ton of thought, but I'll, I'll, I'll weigh in on it. It's very um, inspired from, you know, history all over the world, right? The French Revolution picket. Like, people who, you know, the bottom rises up and uh, against the top is, is pretty kind of 101. I think what's interesting is the, the bottom of both societies um, coming together, influencing one another, and how they are idealizing the Jedi. Um, and that could be where Naminor, as an opportunist, um, maybe maybe he rallies them as a force of his own to maybe, I don't know, be forgiven or flip sides. Like, I don't know. It's an interesting question because he's really, you're right, he's a really interesting character and he's very different than the rest of them. And it's just taken a long time to see that. I believe obviously history is inspiring story and I can't kind of wait to see where that goes because they really like a lot of societies they're very um class centric um and that's really what they seem like so they're gonna also underestimate them which will be probably a downfall as it happens in class societies all over the place if this heresy is spreading through the slaves and the shamed ones, I find it interesting that there is a shamed one right there sitting beside Supreme Overlord Shimra. All right, you're seeding it. You're seeding <laughs> See? Right? He's a puppet. He's not, I don't know. I can't wait to find out. This is it's really, really getting super interesting, um, and I really cannot wait to find out. Well, it's been a great discussion. Before we wrap up today, we have a new Star Wars character, Fighter Squadron. And it's from Raj, who sent in one of the questions that K2 and I answered at the beginning of the show. Raj has named his squadron Kenobi Squadron. Kenobi 1, of course, the squadron commander is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Kenobi 2 is Anakin Skywalker. Kenobi 3, Luke Skywalker. Kenobi 4, Ahsoka Tano. Kenobi 5, Harris Syndulla. Sabine Wren is Kenobi 6. Jedi Master Plo Koon, Kenobi 7. Kenobi 8 is Ki Adi Mundi. Kenobi 9 is Master Yoda. Mace Windu, Kenobi 10. Count Dooku, Kenobi 11. And Kenobi 12, Darth Sidious. Those are some great choices, Raj. I like how you slipped in the two dark side users right at the very end in order to, I guess, kind of balance the squad out a little bit. Uh, K2, what would you think of Raj's squad? Excellent. Um, and I would have added Jaina Solo to that. Oh, another tremendous Starfighter pilot. And otherwise, I think it's pretty darn good the way it is. Matt would have added Wedge Antilles. Oh, big of a wedge I would have added Wedge Antilles too. Forgive me, Matt. I 100%. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that answer. Well, thank you very much, Raj. Listener, it's now time to wrap up. If you have 
a question or comment for the show, or you'd just like to contact us, or if you have a favorite character grouping you'd like to share, you can email the show at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. K2, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. If the listeners would like to contact you, how can they best do that? Um, probably the best way is at K2CAV, K the number 2, K-A-V, on Twitter. That's really the best. I'm on Blue Sky at the same handle, and I don't do much else. I do not have a podcast. I guest star. But like I said, you guys are welcome to come in and chat with us anytime. Coming up on the next episode, Scott will return, and he and I will start the Force Heretic Trilogy with Force Heretic 1, Remnant, by Shane Dix and Sean Williams. You can look forward to that episode coming up on October 27th. Thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends. Mm-hmm.